Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello, hello. Um... So this this was also kind of listener. The past few episodes we've done have been ideas we've gotten from listeners, basically just saying, "Hey, I'd really love if you guys did an episode about this." And this one was actually something that came up a while ago in the Facebook group. Um, some people were asking if we could dive more into dialectics. You know, DBT has this big word of dialectical (laughs) behavior therapy. And yes, we briefly touched on what that meant in the first episode that we recorded when we were explaining what DBT is. And also, man, there's a whole lot more (laughs) to dialectics and just living a dialectical life that we have not dove into and um so some people had questions about that and they wanted to learn more and we thought hey why not let's do an episode about it actually we're going to be doing (laughs) this is a two-parter right (laughs) part one yep part one of two all about dialectics uh excuse me because actually in looking in the dbt manual that kate and i have they have a lot of handouts about this a big section yeah big section on it and the thing about dbt is that even though DBT, the heart of DBT, the backbone of DBT is the skills that we've been talking about for many, many episodes now. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's lots of acronyms and all of this. Really, there's this other side to DBT, which is that even if you are not intentionally practicing any of the skills, you can still be living dialectically. You can still be practicing dialectics in your life. And so basically for this episode of the next, that's what we're going to be talking about is what that means and what that can look like. And today what we're really going to do is we found this lovely list in our manual of 18 different examples of dialectics. So what it says at the top of the page is that these are 18 examples of opposite sides that can both be true. And that's what a dialectic is at the heart of it. It's two things that may seem opposing, but they both exist. They both count. (laughs) Uh, They both are there. And what that means, and the only dialectical example I think I gave in the first episode was the dialectic of bittersweet. Um, So we're going to give 18 more examples today just to reorient and reacquaint you guys to what we're talking about when we say dialectics. That's what part one is going to be today. So We're just going to go down the list and we're going to alternate. We're going to read what the dialectic is that it says on the page. And then we are going to share a little bit about how we see that dialectic show up in our life or what it means. I would like to stipulate that we're going to make an attempt. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do our best. I'm I'm apparently Ms. Pessimist today. Some of these may fit more than others. Yes. I, I think we probably already talked about this and maybe just from listening to us talk, it's readily apparent. I don't know. But Michelle's much more organized um, and prepared for, <laughs> I don't know, everything. <laughs> so I think, anyway, I haven't read the list yet. These will all of mine will be a surprise to me. So this is just me putting out there that I don't know. Maybe some of them don't relate very well to me. <laughs> We'll see what We'll see. We'll see what comes. It's a mystery. I'm excited. Okay. You get to start. I get to start. That's right. All right. So the first dialectic on the page is you can want to be in. Sorry, not be in. See, look, I can fuck it up already. All right. (laughs) You can want to change and be doing the best you can and still need to do better, try harder, and be more motivated to change. Um, interestingly enough, when Michelle and I were talking about this, uh, before the episode, this was the one she talked about and I was like, Oh, but you had such a good, you had such a good example. 
but mine is similar. I'm not stealing from you, woman, I swear. <laughs> of those two sides, of the, like, you're doing the best you can and you can still need to do better, I am particular. I'm much more prone to lean into the you need to do better side, right? The you're never doing enough. There's always more to do. The you're not putting in as much effort as you could, right? That sort of self-scolding, self. Um, hey, I just want to use big words. Excoriating. Um, <laughs> anyway, getting down on yourself, right? So I'm much more prone to getting down on myself than I am to be telling myself that I'm doing the best I can. Uh, so I would say that in this one, what I, and I'm learning, I'm getting better at this. I would actually say this last, I've been taking time off recently. Um, and I think I've done a better job of leaning into that first part of just like doing the best I can. It's okay. Shit's cool. Uh, so I need practice giving myself slack, I guess, really. That's how I would put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. On to you. On to me. Yeah, so the second one says, you are tough and you are gentle. And the first thing I think of when I read this is, that's my husband. <laughs> um, my husband is a six foot three, you know, guy. He, he He's a big dude. <laughs> and yet he is so, so gentle. Um, he has a very gentle touch. He gives the best hugs, um, you know, all reasons why I married him. He's very in touch with his feelings, um, and, uh, very sentimental and all of that. Um, and is he also tough? Yeah. Cause he could knock someone out <laughs> if he wanted to. <laughs> um, but I think what this shows is that when it comes to, I don't know, interacting with people. DBT talks about this, I think, a little bit in the interpersonal effectiveness module because, right, we have this skill of fast where maybe you're being a little more toe the line. You're being a little tough. You're standing your ground. You're, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. You're really asserting yourself. And then we also have this skill of give where the G stands for gentle. Um, and so it's knowing, right, when to be each of those things, but that both of these things can very well be with inside you. That's what I think of. I like it. This one. All right. All right. The next one is <clears throat> you can be independent and also want help. And then in parentheses, it says you can allow somebody else to be independent and also give them help. I like that sort of both sides. Kind of get a same. two for one. Yeah. Both sides <laughs> of the same coin. Um, I also have a hard time sometimes with asking for help. That is not always my my best. I definitely am better at the giving help than the accepting help. Um, I do think I do decently well at giving help and not experiencing someone asking for help as being in any way impugning their independence. Uh, whereas I do sometimes think that people, I get a little in my head about being afraid that people might judge me for needing help with things. So I tend to be a very take it on, do it myself kind of person. And it can be good to remember that other people like to help. I like to help other people. It makes sense that other people might like to help me. <laughs> so that's where, I, yeah, I don't know, I can lean a little bit more into the asking for help bit. I think also with that one, too, it's like there can really be this way of thinking of asking for help makes you weak. And I think what this one is getting at is that... Yeah asking for help doesn't take away your independence. It doesn't mean that you're weak. You know, you can ask for help and still be very independent and self-sufficient and, you know, quote unquote. Yeah, it just means strong. we're human. Yeah. Right. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> exactly. nobody never needs help. There you go. Nobody never needs help. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> nice. Uh, also, by the way, you were four. glitching a lot. So if we're out of sync on time, I apologize. I know. You're glitching a lot, too, but I think we're hearing each other okay. <laughs> I think we're going along okay so far. Fingers I really hope. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed with this internet, you guys, I tell you. Okay. Wait. Number four, which is one that I really uh, relate to. Um, you can want to be alone and also want to be connected to others. I said it at some point in the podcast that I am an introvert and um for me i think 
it took me a while to find the balance with this in my life. Um, I certainly didn't have it in high school. <laughs> it was either I was alone or, you know, we're going to go hang out for hours and hours and hours in a group of people, <laughs> which is draining for me. And I would not feel as connected during those experiences. So very felt like all or nothing. Mm. And now I've really been able to figure out in, in what ways can I connect with others in a way that works for me and that it doesn't have to just be that I am alone or connected to others. I can figure out how to have both those things really in balance in my life. Um, I think also what I think of with this one is um, when it comes to depression, um, when you're experiencing depression, <laughs> For a lot of people, what that looks like is isolation, and they are alone, and they are not connecting to others, and that feels like too much of a stretch to them. And so I also read into this that what it's really saying is that it's okay to be alone. It's okay to take that time for yourself um, if you need it, and if you don't have the energy to do a lot of things at that time. And you can maybe also find a way to stay connected to others two within that even if you're really 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 scaling back which you might need to do if you're experiencing depression and don't have the energy or the wherewithal for social interactions when you're struggling with that so I also think like I don't know that there's that like there's looking for different modes of connection can be helpful sometimes in that case because uh you know mm -hmm. I don't know I think COVID has shown us that there are lots of ways to digital digitally connect that may not be as good for those of us who are extroverts but also maybe less yeah. draining for those of you that are introverts um or yeah. depressed right when you can sort of I don't know turn on the zoom call while still in your pajamas on your couch it allows you to be able to connect with friends with a lower barrier to entry maybe than there usually is so I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can also find different ways of connecting that don't. Sure. I mean, in a very literal sense, we are alone right now and also mm -hmm. connected. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> uh, speaking of, I love this because yeah. mine is the mirror of the one that you just said. Mm -hmm. um, oh, no. Wait, where am I? You're number five. Five. Oh, I was looking at seven. JK. All right, five. <laughs> you, you can share some things with others and also keep some things private. So this, I, I don't know. It's funny. I, this is probably the point. But with all these dialectics, I think of balance a lot. Um, sometimes these can be some things like literally in the same moment. So in a conversation, you are allowed to make choices. You can share some things and keep some things to yourself. And then that's fine. It's perfectly normal and natural to have boundaries around that. See our whole boundaries episode for <laughs> stuff with oversharing and some and Q and A like episodes recently. Oh, that too. Talked about yes, that. Oversharing quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. You're right. For mm -hmm. some reason I thought that was more in the boundaries episode, but it was in that Q and A more. Um, well, those Q and A's, we had a couple where we talked about that. Um, so, right. You can make this choice on a moment to moment basis. And also just, I don't know, with, with your life in general, right there. I think a lot of people can be prone to an all or nothing thing. Like uh, if I'm keeping anything back, I'm being secretive or I'm being, untrusting or I'm being, you know, whatever. So they feel like this pressure that they, if I've shared openly with this person once before, then I, you know, I need to do that every time we're together. Right. And so just remembering that both are options all the time and that, you know, sharing with someone doesn't inherently make you an oversharer or someone with no boundaries or blah, 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 blah. Uh, but also keeping things to yourself doesn't inherently make you secretive or distrustful or, you know, anything like that. You know, there's lots of different reasons that we might choose one over the other in any given moment or relationship or situation. So. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Um, so looking at number six, it's very similar to number four. Which is and why I, I was I, looking at seven. I was like, oh, look, six and seven are mirrors of I each other. <laughs> I accidentally really talked about number six when I was talking about number four. So I'll read it to you guys. Number six says you can be by yourself and still be connected to others. Number four, to go back to it real briefly, I hope I read number four correctly, says you can want to be alone and also want to be connected to others. So I don't know. I'm kind of going to flip-flop it here because I really did talk about You really sex. did. Yeah. I really did. <laughs> so I'm like, going to backtrack a little bit. 
I'm going to backtrack a little bit and talk about four. The wanting, right? The wanting to be alone and the wanting to connect to others. Man, I experienced that too a lot as um, as someone who is introverted. Because um, it, it feels like my, my comfort zone, my default way of being, is to be alone. Um, I like being alone. <laughs> I like spending time by myself. It's wonderful. And also, then there are times where I want to... Um, talk with my friends or, uh, this even happened, I think the last time Kate and I were podcasting, normally when Kate and I take a break for lunch or something like that, when we're podcasting, I go downstairs and like watch a little bit of my show and then we come back. And last time I was like, no, I want us to like talk and catch up and you know, there's stuff I want to talk to you about. So I really did want to kind of, yeah, I was... There was a part of me that wanted to do what we normally do and be alone. And then there was another part of me that really wanted to connect with Kate. And I wanted both at once. Um, and that's, I think, a very common dilemma uh, that can show up for various reasons in life. Where we want our alone time. We want to do something by ourselves. And yet we also have people around us that we care about and we want to be connected to them too. So there's space for all of that. All of that wanting. Um, so, Yeah. That's number four. And then again, I talked a lot about number six of the you can be by yourself and still be connected to others <laughs> already on accident. I love it. All right. So the one that Michelle actually talked about the first time, right? The number six is that you can be by yourself and still be connected to others. The one I have next, which is sort of the inverse of that is you can be with others and be lonely. Right. Which to me, I think is kind of the, you know, the flip flop of that. Um, I don't know. Has mm-hmm. does any has anybody? <laughs> that was a weird sentence. I'm going with it. Has anybody never felt this way? Like, is there never anyone who's been in a crowd or <laughs> been at a party or been at a family get or whatever and still felt lonely? Right? I don't know. I think of this as kind of a mm. universal experience. You know, just because you're yeah. not literally alone doesn't mean you're not lonely for so many different reasons. Right? For one, maybe you're lonely for a specific person. Right. Uh, If you're missing someone, right, a partner or a family member or a friend, you can feel lonely even if you're around other people that you like and or enjoy because you're lonely for that person. Um, Also, I don't know. It's (laughs) I don't even know if she listens all the time. Bless your heart, sister mine. I love you. But sometimes I feel this way. Like if my sister, I mean, you know, in the times before COVID throws house parties or whatever, because I'm a little bit weirder than most people. My sister, well, than most people in sentence, but than most people, my sister interacts with on a regular basis. Absolutely. Right. And so the, sometimes we can feel lonely if we feel out of place, right? Like they're lovely humans. This is not any shade thrown on my sister's friends. They are great people. Um, but I often feel a little, one of these things is not like the others. Right? <laughs> one of these things does not belong. Right? So I can feel a little bit lonely just because I feel out of place. I feel like these are good people, but they're not necessarily my people. Um, and so that, that can be a way that I experience loneliness when um, still around people. So, yeah, just a couple of thoughts on that one sure yeah that actually goes in really nicely to number eight. Oh, um so number eight says oh. <laughs> you can be a misfit in one group and fit in perfectly in another group and We're then it says this in parentheses other back and it, says, forth. <laughs> it totally works um then it says a tulip in a rose garden can also be a tulip in a tulip garden um so that's exactly what you were just talking about kate um do you understand? Your face looked confused. Yes, it took me a second. I did make a face. Okay, like, you're like, why is it talking about flowers? What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you said this in the Making Friends episode. Like, wave your freak flag high. Like, be you. Mm-hmm. And you will find the people who are your people. And so, with how they phrase it here, of like, you could be a misfit in one group and fit in perfectly in another group. Um is that, you know, yeah, I think that's also a very universal experience where you have certain settings in your life where you just feel out of place and like you don't belong. But then you have other settings, at least I hope you do, and keep searching if you haven't found them yet, where you feel at home 
and you do fit in and you are accepted and appreciated for who you are. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where I think it's a reminder here, like with the tulip (laughs) thing that it says of like, you don't have to change yourself. Um, Sure. We all have to, I guess you could say fit in socially to certain contexts. Um, You know, there's a certain kind of decorum when you're at work and all of Mm -hmm. that. Sure. Um, but to to also make sure that, you know, you're not trying to be a rose if you're not a rose. <laughs> like, be the tulip that you are, damn it. Um, I love it. <laughs> and figure out, you know, where, where your people are. Um, and then even when you do find your people, again, you may still feel out of place in other contexts. And that's that happens because again yeah this is also i think very very common this mm-hmm. misfit one place fitting in in another so. totally yep. all right let's see let's make sure i don't skip any again because sometimes i lose my place in lists all right number nine right <laughs> yes mm-hmm. so yep. you can accept yourself the way you are and still want to change and then in brackets it says you can accept others as they are and still want them to change um <laughs> This is a big one. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No. (laughs) Moving on. No. Um, Oh, man. That is that is a tough one. Right. It's I think of this as in the lens of self-compassion. Right. There's I think especially Mm -hmm. here in America, there can be very much this sort of mindset of. I don't know, being a drill sergeant to yourself, right? Like the the best way to make progress in any arena is to belittle yourself and scold yourself and be mean and angry and whatever to yourself until you push yourself, right? Push. We're Americans are very fond of pushing, right? <laughs> push yourself to be, I don't know, more wealthy, thinner, have bigger muscles, drive, all right, whatever, whatever the thing is, right? You just, you just, shit all over yourself until you're better (laughs) and turns out that's not good um that doesn't actually work very well um lots of studies have shown that if you're actually self-accepting self-compassionate if you're nice to yourself you're gonna get more done you're gonna change more quickly you're gonna be more accomplished in the areas that you're leaning towards um if you think about it this way i think about it as something along the lines of you know i think about a kid who's being bullied are they really that likely to be performing really well in any given arena right when we're having to deal with being belittled with the the emotional weight and the emotional uh, um toll or cost uh to that it doesn't leave us with a lot with which to tackle these goals, right? It's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. Also, if we've convinced ourselves that we're sacks of shit, we're very unlikely to want to put a lot of effort towards ourselves. Right. So for a couple of different ways, uh, for a couple of different ways, for a couple of different reasons, or in a couple of different ways, there we go. English sentences are mine. Um, the, uh, this, this idea of acceptance is actually a, a better path towards change. Um, same thing with others, right? If you accept someone for where and who and how they are right now, you're going to be a much better ally for them possibly changing uh, in the future uh, because you're coming from a place of, of gentleness and acceptance and compassion, um, which, you know, turns out people respond better to than derision or anger or mockery, etc. So that's sort of what I think about with that one. Also, I'm so glad you can hear me, but I know that there's a lag because I can see, like, I stop talking and then it's like one, two, three, and then you respond. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Bless your brother's heart. I hope this one isn't too hard to edit. (laughs) I know. I don't think we've ever, okay, Kate, we've never mentioned that. We're going to briefly pause here. So my brother does all of the editing for us. With Thank episodes, you. you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Um, he's he's incredible, and we would not have a podcast without him no. because Kate and I don't know how to do this stuff. No. Um, <laughs> so he he technologically makes the podcast happen. But yeah, my internet is complete and utter shit, and um, we sometimes have a bad leg on Zoom because of it. So <laughs> we hope our audio matches up. Okay, <laughs> I'm on to number ten. Yeah. Um, so number 10 says, 
At times, you need to both control and tolerate your emotions. Well, that's DBT in like a nutshell. I know, right? Basically. At least the emotion regulation module. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, So the whole thing of DBT that we talk a lot about is like, um, and it does this in the emotion regulation module in particular, when you're doing those skills, check the facts, you know, <laughs> for example, you have to first know what your emotion is. If you do not know what your emotion is, then what are you doing? You've got to figure that out first before you go any further. DBT very much preaches this idea that our emotions are not good or bad. Our emotions are not right or wrong. They are what they are. And we need to tolerate them. (laughs) Um, The other thing, though, that it also says about emotions is that if we are too strongly in emotion mind, our emotions can lead us down a path that may have some consequences (laughs) that we do not want long term, that our wise mind would not choose for us (laughs) and that that's why it becomes really important to also have strategies and tools which it gives to control our emotions especially if the intensity of our emotions does not fit the facts of the situation at hand we need something to bring that intensity down and control the emotion while also not telling the emotion to shut up and go away So that we really can have both of these things at once where we are tolerating our emotion, we are feeling what we are feeling, and we're also controlling it so that it does not, you know, run away with us (laughs) and start calling the shots. Um, We can listen to it without having to do everything it says is basically the essence of it. So that's stuff that we've touched on before, but I mean... That really says a lot of what DBT is about right, right there. <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. All right. Where are we? 11. You may have a valid reason for believing what you believe, and you may still be wrong or incorrect. Um, I don't know. I love, I like this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm not sure how to put it into words really well. The, <laughs> I don't know. We, being wrong doesn't mean you're stupid. Being wrong doesn't mean you're ignorant. Being wrong doesn't mean you didn't, as it says, have a valid reason for what you thought or the conclusion you came to. Right? There's such a temptation, I think, sometimes for folks to, like, not admit to being wrong because of all this baggage that they're sort of bringing along with it. Like, we're wrong about shit all the time. <laughs> this is just, again, this is this is part of the human condition, Right? We're going to have, you know, maybe with the information we had, it was the only possible conclusion to come to. It just turned out we didn't have all the information or we didn't have the right information or, right? So I, I just think it's so important to try and disconnect the concept of wrongness from the concept of, I don't know, badness, for lack of a better way of putting it. Like, you can be a fine, good, valid, intelligent, wonderful, accurate human and still be wrong about this thing whatever the thing is um so you know being wrong doesn't invalidate your reasons for how you got there um all right brief i know we're we're i know brief whatever brief is not a word in our vocabulary but i just thought this is such this is my favorite uh i think example of you have valid reasonings uh, and you came to the wrong conclusion my nephews uh my were seven when they first had the talk about sex and I was actually babysitting them that week, so I got to talk with them about it after they'd talked to um, their parents about it. And we're sitting there, we're having this lovely long conversation, and part of it is I talked about menstruation, right? And and what that is, but tried to put it in terms that a seven-year-old could understand. And my, uh, my nephew piped up with, oh, so then mom's friend... Was it how mom's friend Sarah must not have periods anymore because she got her tubes tied because she right because I had said that what it was was shedding the possibility of being pregnant right every month you shed your uterine lining and I think I said something like the getting rid of the possibility for getting pregnant right and so he was like oh well if it has to do with not getting pregnant since she can't get pregnant anymore it must mean that she doesn't have a period anymore 
And considering the way the information I'd given him and the way I'd led, uh, sent it to him, it made perfect sense. Like, it was an absolutely legitimate, valid conclusion to have come to. Utterly incorrect, but... <laughs> Considering what he'd heard and the information he had, it made total sense, right? And so, you know, that's a seven-year-old brain, but we can do this, too. <laughs> we do do mm -hmm. this, too. And so, I don't know, just that, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I also really think about with this one, too, um, when it comes to our interactions with other people. Like, yeah, we mm. can certainly view it through that lens that kind of you were talking about of, like, objective factual information this totally applies there too that we can think we know something and then we actually don't know as well as we think we do but i think about it when we're interacting with people um because there is no way for you to know everything about that person mm -hmm. you just it's impossible you cannot know everything that they've experienced you cannot know everything that they are thinking or every emotion that they have you just cannot know. <laughs> and so that when we're interacting with people, right, we may read them one way. We may be like, oh, they don't like me, you know, or they seem to be really mad at me or whatever it is. And we may have a valid reason for thinking that based mm -hmm. off of like our own life experience. And that may not be what that person is experiencing at all. <laughs> And we may be wrong, even if we're like, well, I thought that because you said this thing or you looked at me this way or all of that. Again, valid reasons and also not correct with what that I like that, that lens. That's a good lens, lady. Yeah. So it can be looked at, I guess, in lots of different I'm so, contexts. I'd say, there you go. This is something that several people would tell you is a, is a fault of mine is that I'm very literal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great because I'm not so literal. Um, <laughs> my husband is a Virgo, so he is very literal. Um, and I am a Cancer, and that <laughs> tends to make me more in the emotional, less literal realm of things. So, anyways. <laughs> I like it. All right, what's yours? Okay. Okay, on to mine. Um... So, let's see. Number 12. Ooh, similar. Someone may have valid reasons for wanting something from you, and you may have valid reasons for saying no. So let's flash back to interpersonal effectiveness, because this is what it's all about. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically. And this was one of the things I think we talked quite a bit about in the interpersonal effectiveness myths episode is that just because someone wants something from you, you do not have to say yes. You do not have to agree or go along with what they want from you if it's something that doesn't feel right or good to you. You know, if it would um, uh, cross your moral boundaries in some way, or it's just not what you want. <laughs> um then you do not have to say yes. So I, I like that it uses the word valid here, though. Someone may have valid reasons for wanting something from you, and you may have valid reasons for saying no. Because so often we can get stuck in invalidating ourselves or in invalidating others and not even realize it. Of like, why do they want that? They shouldn't need that. <laughs> they should be fine. They should, you know, or whatever. Um we could do that same thing to us, too, of like, ah, I don't really have a good reason to say no. Can't tell you how many oh. times I've thought that in my life. Yes, so I hate that phrase many so times. many times. I don't have a good reason. Well, who the fuck is the arbiter of good reasons? What? Right. Yeah. <laughs> who, yeah, exactly. Who sat on that council and decided, and in my brain, apparently, and decided what doesn't, doesn't count as a good fucking reason. Oh, man. Right. Sorry. I yeah, may feel strongly exactly. about that. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, valid can be, I don't know, it's very subjective. Um, yes. My true. opinion of like, what is considered a valid reason? And yet, I think what it's getting at here is that the person asking you for something, um, they may have really thought through and determined that this is something that they want and that you are the person to ask <laughs> and you can also think through if this is what you really want and that you have the power to say 
no. And it doesn't make either of you right or wrong. Um, because we can so often get caught up in this song and dance of getting upset with people for asking things of us or getting upset with ourselves for saying no when we think we're supposed to be saying yes. And this dialectic just eliminates all of that. <laughs> just throws it away. <laughs> um, basically just saying, like, you both are valid. Neither of you are in the wrong. Um, it's okay to ask and it's okay to say no. Thumbs yeah. up. Mm-hmm. This one, this is your favorite, and it cracks me up. I love this one. <laughs> <laughs> Why? But I love your delight at it. Uh, so mine just says the day can be sunny and it can rain. Um, for those of you who are fellow citizens of Washington State, I know y'all know what I'm talking about. Because damn, I I don't know. I'm sure it's happened more than once in my life, but I still remember a day when I was back in sixth grade. Where it literally was, at some point, sunny and warm enough for people to be running around in, like, shorts and t-shirts. Um, there was a period of time of a deluge of rain. Uh, there was hail. And there was snow. And more sun. Like, it just, like, rotated through these things. Like, it was the most ridiculous weather day that I can recall in the whole of my life. <laughs> it was, like, every hour or so, someone was just playing roulette with weather. It was so weird. There was no way to be adequately dressed or prepared or anything else. Uh, but, uh, on a more mild level, I'm sure we have, almost all of us, experienced days where it was both sunny and rainy. Um, and so neither one. If you just say it was a sunny day, you'd be wrong. If you just said it was a rainy day, you'd be wrong. You have to have the dialectic of both to have an accurate description of your day. There you go. Yeah. It's my anecdote yep. from 11-year-old me who still remembers that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I just like, uh, you know, the idea of weather and seasons in general. Um, because it, cause it really is this reminder that things are always changing um, in our lives. Um, you know, we go through periods of struggle aka rain we go through periods where maybe things there feel you are being all metaphorical joy again. i know i am being metaphorical <laughs> i can't help it i can't help it um we go through that but i talk about this sometimes with my clients um where it's just kind of like you know we can really get stuck sometimes thinking every day <laughs> every day is gonna suck and um, I think kind of what this is getting at, if we take it beyond just literal weather, which is, I think, honestly, how GBT means it. So I'm taking it beyond this. But um, just basically that, yes, you may have had an absolutely shitty day. And was there still probably something good in there? Probably somewhere, however small, <laughs> you know, a moment where the sun might have come out or the rain might have stopped before it kept going. Some days it really is from sun up to sundown, the same weather all the time. But, um, you know, a, a lot of times it is a mix. So. Yes, please. Okay. I'll get off my high horse on that. <laughs> I love that. I was like, weather. And you're like, yeah, but internal. I'm like, perfect demonstration of my literalness and your figurativeness. <laughs> I know. It's kind of funny. Okay. Uh, this is such a good reminder for me. Um, number 14 says, you can be mad at somebody and also love and respect the person. Um, anger is an emotion that historically I have really struggled to allow myself to feel. I just don't like feeling angry. <laughs> um, I have struggled to let myself feel that emotion. I've struggled to let myself express that emotion. Um, it's just something that I have stifled at various points throughout my life. And so this is a very good reminder. Just because you're mad at somebody doesn't mean that you don't love them. And I think this um, can really apply when it comes to parenting. Um, either direction. As a parent, you can be super frustrated with your child. You could just be having a day where they are driving you up the wall and you still love them. And um, I think about one of my friends who has three daughters um, who are all pretty young. Her oldest is seven. And uh, there was this day where one of her daughters was just having a mom, I hate you kind of day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what? but what it really was is she was just mad. You know, she's just angry. 
<laughs> she still loves her mom deep down inside, you know? So that's, that's kind of maybe a pretty obvious example of how this can look. But I think this applies to almost any long-term relationship that you're going to have in your life, whether it's with family, friends, or a romantic partner, is that there will be days where you are angry at them and you still love them too. <laughs> Sorry, now I have a song stuck in my head. <laughs> what song? Mama told me there'd be days like this. There'll be days yes. like this. My mama said, mama said, mama said. <laughs> anyway, that's just, you were just saying, you just said there'll be days Perfect. like this. Anyway, whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> oh, hey, it's almost like they uh, on purpose are pairing these up, which is why we, <laughs> they just put the brackets for yours as mine. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so mine says you can be mad at yourself. And also love and respect yourself. Um, all right. How to now not piggyback off of everything Michelle just said. Uh, the <sighs> I don't know. That's, That's... <laughs> Michelle made all the good points. Um, you can piggyback. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm just collecting my thoughts. I don't know. Like, if I were a, a different kind of human, I'd have been spending my time while you were talking, reading ahead and getting ideas. Uh, but I haven't been. The... Because <laughs> I'm not that person. So, maybe that's maybe that's one of those things. I, I think that too many people for themselves or for others, so to sort of be with Michelle and mine's uh, bullet points here, don't appropriately label anger as temporary right like in order to either allow themselves to feel angry at someone be that someone themselves or someone else they have to somehow uh denigrate the their image of that person so that the anger is allowable quote unquote is acceptable right so they 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 have to sort of bring that person down in their eyes in order to allow themselves to feel angry which is also totally unnecessary um, <clears throat> pardon me. But also there's just this, I don't know, anger comes and anger goes, right? Ideally, things like love and respect are longer term things, right? These are things built up over lots and lots of different experiences with yourself or others, lots and lots of, often lots of time, right? Like it's, it's, it's something that's more foundational, more bedrock, right? Sort of love and respect are these bigger, deeper, longer lasting through time things. So I don't know. I think about it as almost hmm, what I'm sort of thinking of as music, but I don't know if other people have that image in their heads. So I don't know. It's just like one thing is one note is being held for a really long time. Doesn't mean that another note can't be played on top of it intermittently. (laughs) You don't need to stop one note in order to have another note be there or show up, right? Every song, almost, maybe literally every song we've ever heard in our lives has multiple notes being played at the same time. We are also capable of that emotionally. (laughs) So love and respect can be this constant underlying truth that anger is occasionally there on top of. Yeah, nice. Thanks. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Um... So this is also kind of similar, I guess, to what I said in number 14. Um, So number 14, it just said you can be mad at somebody and also love and respect the person. Number 16 says you can have a disagreement with somebody and also be friends. That's what it says. No, I'm just saying you and I. Kate waves. (laughs) Kate and I are very different people. And we are friends. Um, We disagree on things. um, I guess we have disagreed on things, but I'm... Oh, have we ever ha- had a disagreement? We've disagreed about things. But I'm trying to remember if we've ever had anything that vaguely resembled an argument or a fight or anything. I don't think so. We're pretty constructive with each other. Yeah. So I think it's like when something is bothering either of us, it's just kind of like, oh, hey, can we just do it this way? We basically use dear man and then it's resolved. <laughs> I guess. I'm like, oh, this is good for us. We've disagreed about a lot of stuff. I'm like, oh, but it says disagreement. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if we had many disagreements. That is that is true. And those are different, yep. I would say. Um, I, I have a feeling, uh, a hunch, that why DBT put this one in is because, as a reminder, when DBT was originally developed... Um, it was specifically created for people diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. 
And one of the things that not across the board, but generally speaking, that people who are diagnosed with BPD struggle with is um, like when it comes to abandonment or having things in their interpersonal relationships get rocky, they have a hard time writing that out. Uh, there can sometimes be this tendency that at the first sign of trouble, the first disagreement, they um, either abandon <laughs> that person, because uh, that feels better than being abandoned, um, or basically they just really struggle to be able to, I guess you could say, resolve it constructively. There can very, there can sometimes very easily be this time where it's just kind of like, I'm done with you, or you know, this conversation is done. Like we're, <laughs> once there's something off, um, the person who's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder sometimes has a tough time sticking in there and working through it um, because they've had people at some point in their life probably cut and run on them when things got hard. So that's what they're used to. That's what they know. And it makes it hard for them to work through disagreements, right? And DBT is here to help with that with the interpersonal effectiveness skills and all of that. So I have a feeling that's why this one was put in there is to remind, whether you're diagnosed with BPD or whether you're not, to remind you that just because you're having conflict doesn't mean that this relationship is lost. Doesn't mean that you're done with each other and you're not friends anymore and you're never speaking again and it <laughs> blows up into oblivion. No! <laughs> you guys can still work through it. You guys can still be friends. Your relationship is still salvageable, even if you're having a disagreement. It doesn't mean that things are doomed, is I think what it's trying to get at with this one. <laughs> I like it. All right. I love this next one. It feels very good to me. Uh, this you is good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is you can disagree with the rules and also follow the rules. I think for me, this can nowhere be more uh, exemplified than my lack of wearing shoes. I knew you were going to say that. Right? How could <laughs> I not? Uh, so I think this has come up before. Yes, you have mentioned, we have talked about shoes and okay. how you don't wear shoes and how you wore them for my wedding. And oh, right. All of yes. That. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, but my big joke next May, it will be 21 years of my choosing to go barefoot. And my big joke is, well, I mean, assuming there are bars. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but, you want to pour alcohol yeah, on your feet or something. Yeah, I want to pour alcohol on my feet since I turned 21. Uh, I mean, the barefootedness of them, my feet are, you know, however old I am. But the <laughs> mystery. Uh, so I have been choosing to go barefoot whenever humanly possible uh, for 21 years. There are some places that don't like that. Um, most of them, I think, are dumb. <laughs> so there you go I think it's stupid most of the places that are freak out about barefootedness I don't think they have a single fucking valid point there you go I'm just saying it and if I know ahead of time if it's for instance a place I've been before and they've been someplace that asked me to put on shoes or any place that has no shirt no shoes no service on the front door or whatever if I'm aware of that place's policy and enforcement of their policy uh, then I either just don't go there if, or I put on shoes in order to do the thing. Like I am capable of bending my preferences to follow rules, even when I think they're abjectly idiotic. Um, like, dude, I'm way more aware of anything on the bottom of my feet than you are on the bottom of your shoe. I tell you, I'm a whole lot less likely to be tracking nasty everywhere. <laughs> also, I don't put my foot up on the merchandise or in the food. I don't understand people's problems. Anyway, the, uh, there's my little freak out for the day. So, yeah, you know, there's lots of rules that we may disagree with why they're there. We mis may even disagree with what they are, etc. And there are certainly going to be times and places where we, we need to abide by those rules anyway. Sometimes we need to abide by them in order to accomplish some goal of ours. Like, for instance, maybe I really want to eat at this restaurant, even though they make me wear shoes. So I'm going to wear shoes so that I can eat there. Um, or sometimes we need to follow the rules to keep ourselves from getting into trouble. You know, if we think about some rules that may actually be legalities, right, and things like that, maybe we need to, to do that for that. Maybe we need to follow rules sometimes, uh, in some cases, to protect ourselves. 
Um, like, I don't know. There's lots of, there's lots of different reasons or times that you might need to follow rules. Kind of regardless of how you feel about them. <laughs> so. Yep. I'll make this real brief, but um, you mentioning shoes and how, you know, that experience of no shirt, no shoes, no service. Um, Always want to show up in shirts me... and a pant or in shoes and, and, and a shirt and nothing on my bottom half. Anyway. Hey, right. It doesn't say pants. It doesn't say anything um, about pants. Nothing. Yeah. Um, but it does make me think about how, you know, throughout COVID in a number of states, uh, there are mask mandates. Yep. And does anyone like wearing a mask? Like, does, would anyone, you know, we were wearing masks before this. I'm sure many of us are very excited for the day where we are told we do not have to wear them anymore. Like, no, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. We don't like it. <laughs> and yet, do we do it anyways? Yes. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Yeah, kids cross your fingers. Yeah, we, we hope you guys are wearing masks. Um, <laughs> the science is pretty clear at this point. I'm not going to go totally down that road, but... It is one of those things where it is a requirement now in many public settings, and it is something that protects you and protects the people you're interacting with. And so even if we do not like it, it is worth doing yep. and following that. Yeah, I guess I like that because I think you point out there's like a there's a sliding scale. Like on the one hand, this says like if you disagree with the rule, but there could mm -hmm. also be rules that while you don't technically disagree with, you just don't like. I don't like going the speed limit. So oh, I know. I've a few True. speeding tickets. But anyways, <laughs> moving on. On to wait, <laughs> the last one. Yeah, last one. <coughs> Excuse me. I just got some spit down my throat. Okay. Uh, the very last one says, there's a lot here. Um, you can understand why somebody is feeling or behaving in a certain way. And also disagree with his or her behavior and ask that it be changed. That part at the end feels very important. It's one thing to just say you can understand why somebody is feeling or doing what they're doing and disagree with it. That's one thing. And then it's like a leveling up to say, and you also get to ask that it be changed. <gasps> Shocker. <laughs> um, and and it's one of those things, too, where I think sometimes we worry that if we ask somebody to change or do something different, that that's going to be invalidating of their experience, their preferences, whatever it is. Um, but this also goes back to a little bit. What number was it? Um the number 12 of someone may have valid reasons for wanting something from you and you may have valid reasons for saying no. You may have, like someone may have valid, I'm going to rephrase this one a little bit. Someone may have valid reasons for their behavior and you can also have valid reasons for asking them to change their behavior. <laughs> Pretty much is I think what that one is trying to, to get at and to say. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but I think I kind of go back to parenting a little bit. See, I go to trauma and, like, romantic relationships. Oh, yeah? yeah. I want you to talk about that. Can you talk about that? And then yeah. I'll talk about parenting. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> that sounds really good. Like, I don't know, stuff that, like, raising a voice, right? A lot of people mm -hmm. raise their voices when they're heated, and it doesn't necessarily have to be anything overly aggressive or abusive or anything else, right? Just getting loud. But if you, like me, maybe have had abuse stuff from childhood or things like that, that can be really triggering, right? So, I mean, that's just one example, but there's a lot of different behaviors that may seem pretty innocuous to many other, you know, many other folks. But because of your particular trauma, you really need to ask people not to do like, oh, here's even better. That raising voice. I can say, uh, no. Uh, somebody coming up behind you and giving you a hug. Mm when you don't expect it, right? Like that is a well-intentioned, probably loving kind of action, right? This person loves you and wants to express that. And they have very valid reasons for all of their feelings and their action. And if perhaps you've been attacked and the person came up behind you and grabbed you, or if that was part of physical abuse, right? Whatever. If that's a trigger for you from your abuse, you might have to tell this person, look, I know you love me and thank you so much. And never come up behind me and hug me. <laughs> I need you to 
warn me, ask me, tap me on the shoulder or something. I'm not saying you can never hug me, but don't just come up behind me and hug me. Like that will freak me out, right? So that's, I think of trauma a lot with this. That's where my brain goes. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a really good example. Um, Yeah, very, very good. And yeah, I mean, my example a little bit, um, I was just thinking about how like children, right? Mm. Children have valid reasons for why they do what they do. Like why they're throwing tantrums and, you know, why they want the things that they want. Um, And, you know, that is developmentally appropriate (laughs) at certain ages to just react the way that they do to things. And also, as their parent, (laughs) you know, you have this fine line to walk of validating what they're feeling, right? I know you're tired. I know you're hungry. I know you want to watch another episode of whatever it is. Um, And also, (laughs) it's, you know, do not throw the toys, right? Or (laughs) do not hit your brother or do not, you know, and whatever, whatever it is. Um, So, yeah, it, it really is this thing of, you know, the other person may have their, well, they probably do have their reasons for why they are doing what they are doing, right? Why they're coming up and hugging you from behind with the example that Kate just talked about. Valid reasons for that. Um, And at the same time, that doesn't mean that you are voiceless, that you just have to kind of be subjected to whatever it is that they're doing um, because they have their reasons and you can understand their reasons. Um, Otherwise, you can definitely be slipping into codependency. So (laughs) it is really important to use your voice to say what you would like from somebody, um, even if you are pretty aware of, or maybe they've even told you directly why they are acting the way they are acting. You can still ask that they do something different. Okay, we're at the end. We're at the end. Check this out. At the end. Yeah. Okay. Um, I get to do awkward self promotion this week. Oh boy, I'm setting my manual down on the ground. Okay. (laughs) Um. So as has been true for the last couple weeks, um, we're just saying thank you to all our patrons in general on our Patreon. Um, we are so appreciative of all the support that they've been giving to us over the months and being loyal patrons. So thank you guys. Um, and if you want to become a patron yourself, if you haven't done that yet, head over to patreon.com slash dbt and me to figure out what contribution level works for you to support the work we're doing on the podcast. And um, head over to Etsy, etsy.com and search for DBT and me if you have not done your holiday shopping and you have things to buy. <laughs> Check out our stuff. <laughs> um, or anything else on Etsy, because Etsy has awesome stuff. Um, and give us a rating, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and last but not least, send us emails if you have questions or feedback for us at dbtandmepodcast at gmail.com. Okay. Oh, and homework. homework. Did I go backwards? I you think did. I went backwards. Yep. Oops. Okay. <laughs> homework. <laughs> um, so as per usual, like we're going to be posting that long list of 18 things in the Facebook group. So. Don't expect you to have memorized it all. Um, But to think about if there's one of those dialectics from the list that we just went over that you're like, ooh, that one. That one hits home. That's one I struggle with. (laughs) Um, You know, to think about what incorporating that specific dialectic might look like in your life. Or the other thing, too, is that this is a list of 18, but dialectics are around us all the time. Like, there's so many dialectical situations that we encounter in life, right? <laughs> you know, I just think about, because I just mentioned speeding tickets, right? I have someplace really important to be, and I have to slow down and follow the rules of the road. <laughs> That's just one. Um, dialectics are everywhere. So just testing out this week what it looks like to try to be 
viewing your life in a more dialectical way and seeing what dialectical situations you encounter in your life and just noticing them and seeing when they're there. So that's homework. Okay. There we go. I think we're ready for close. I'm on. actually also going to put down my book. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big nice. book. <laughs> yes, it is. It is big. <laughs> it's a bit of a monster. <sighs> Okie dokie. Ready for closing moment then, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then, as per usual, go ahead and get comfy. Whatever that means for you today. Sitting, standing, lying down. Whatever feels good to your body. And if you're in a position where you feel safe and comfortable doing so, I invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. As always, we'll begin by just tuning into our breath. You don't have to breathe any more slowly or any more deeply than you do naturally. It's just about paying attention. It's about noticing. Just about focusing in on the rhythms and the sensations that go along with our breath. And letting those welcome us into our bodies and into the present moment. So today, we're just going to look at the dialectic idea again. And one image that came to mind for me when I think about dialectics is a teeter-totter. And while the up and the down are both fun and enjoyable, if the teeter-totter stays in one position all the time, it's not really functional, is it? It's not really doing what it's supposed to do. It's not really reflective of the balance that we'd like to achieve. So what I thought might be nice today is to go ahead and picture a teeter-totter. I'm trying to bring to mind half of the dialectic that you struggle with to start with. Maybe this is one that you heard us list just in the 18 that we just went over, one that really stood out for you. Or if not, just take a moment and think about some strongly held belief that you might have about yourself, about others, about the world. Something that maybe you have a difficult time contradicting. Take a moment and just bring something to mind. And in some way or another, whether it be the words themselves or a physical manifestation of it or whatever works for you in your imagination, go ahead and put one half of that dialectic on one side of the teeter-totter. Which, of course, means that that side will be resting on the ground while the other one's way up in the air. Totally unbalanced. Totally not useful. And then, if you're able, go ahead and put the other half of that dialectic on the other side of the teeter-totter. Now, again, this can be one of the ones that we just went over, one of those 18 that we listed. In which case, you have it a little bit easier than those of you who are trying to think of one on your own. So do take a moment, whether you immediately believe it or not, whether it's a struggle or not, do you just go ahead and put the simultaneous opposite on the other side of the teeter-totter? The thing that, while it seems in direct opposition to whatever the first notion was, is equally true. See if you can balance the teeter-totter. Does it refuse to move when you put the new information on? because you don't have as much belief in that side? Does the other side suddenly fall all the way to the ground, lifting the first side up? It doesn't really matter in the end what it looks like in this moment. Just bring some curiosity to what happens in your imagination as you try this exercise. Another thing that you may notice is that while many of these things can be true at the exact same time, which may lead to the teeter-totter being perfectly balanced, neither side up, neither side down. There may also be times in life where it looks like the game we used to play, one side going up and then the other, depending on the situation. Some may feel more or less true in any given moment, but they're both present. For it to function, you can't take either one off. 
right? They both have to be there all the time, whether they're equally applicable in any given moment. Neither one is 100% of the way gone, ever. If you're having a hard time in the future with something that just feels true, you're struggling, maybe take some time to sit down and go into this imagery of the teeter-totter. Go ahead and put the thing that you're thinking on one side and see if you can't find something to balance it out. Something to help lift that side back off the ground. Something to make it more functional, more real, more reflective of reality. Because just like the teeter-totter, there are always two sides to any given thing. And often, if not always, they're both true. When you feel ready to go ahead and put away that image, go ahead and do so. And as per usual, do whatever you need to to start to come back into your body and out of the imagination. Slow deep breaths, stretches, rotating of your joints, whatever feels good. Welcoming you back into your body and into the room. When you feel ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, everyone. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.